You're listening to episode 27 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children, where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today I have a super interesting chat with a children's author and illustrator, Josh Langley. He is an award-winning author-illustrator and one of the things he's really passionate about is kids' emotional and mental health and well-being. And there's certainly areas that resonate quite strongly through his books. And today you're going to learn a little more about him as a writer and illustrator and also understand how his books have had such a positive effect on children and their families. He also shares with us the practical ways that his books have strengthened kids' emotional and mental well-being, and you'll also discover what does actually make them a popular choice used by educators and health professionals alike. So let's get this chat started with Josh Langley. So joining me today is Josh Langley. He is an award-winning author and illustrator, having published seven books in eight years and won the 2018 Australian Book Industry Award, Small Publishers Children's Book of the Year, for his second children's book, It's Okay to Feel the Way You Do. Josh is an engaging speaker. He has appeared at writers' festivals, he runs workshops, he's presented at numerous primary schools, and he's also a multi-award-winning radio creative writer and runs his own creative agency. He currently runs workshops based on his latest book, which is for adults, and that's called Find Your Creative Mojo, How to Overcome Fear, Procrastination, and Self-Doubt to Express Your True Self. I'm sure they are high-demand workshops, Josh. He has his third children's book due to be released next year, and we'll discover more about that during our chat today. He also lives on seven and a half acres in the southwest of Western Australia, where he spends a lot of time talking to the flowers. So we are very appreciative that he's taking the time to talk to me today. So thank you, Josh, for joining in the chat about children today. Hi, Sonia. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, Josh, it sounds like you've done an amazing amount in this period of time. And one of the things that I know drives you is that you're very passionate about promoting emotional and mental well-being for both children and adults. And that's very much inspired by your own experience. Has that been really the driving force that's made you, I guess, you know, pump out seven books in eight years? What were you so enthusiastic to get out into the world in such a hurry? Oh, look, let's just get off onto the great serious angle here, I think, Sonia. It has been the job. <laughs> Why not? Let's dispense with the, you know, the fluffiness. Let's go straight to the heart of the matter. And look, you're right. It, is, it has been a driving force for me to actually, I suppose it's curiosity about myself, what makes me tick. And that's what starts this writing process for me, either whether it's for the, the kids' books or the illustrated books for adults or for my other nonfiction books. It's this drive to go, okay, what is it that makes me think the way I do, feel the way I do? And it's exploring those avenues and then, then going, okay, well, maybe it's that's caused, this has caused that. And then going, well, if I feel that, then everyone else must feel that to a certain degree. So it's that kind of building that empathy and that compassion. And that's where it comes out also in my kids' books because the two kids' books are written from the point of view of what would I go back and tell my eight-year-old self about life that I know now? And knowing that my little seven-year-old self or eight-year-old self, he had a pretty, pretty tough upbringing. 
And it's like, what can I do? What can I say to him to make sure that he feels good about himself? So as he gets older, he's not so dysfunctional as what people are like myself. So that kind of thing that I wanted to do, and that sort of shaped a lot of what I write is helping myself and through helping myself, I help other people in the process. Absolutely. And I think that would be the case for many authors and writers out there. That is a process of almost self-discovery or just this urgency to want to get a message out and share it and touch others and have a positive impact on others. That It's almost an uncontrollable drive, isn't it, to be able to do that? Oh, definitely. And that is what drives me. It's not any sort of great wanting to do massive good in the world. I suppose that you do it by proxy, but it's that you know, how can I help myself? And in that process, you're helping others at the same time. It's that that finding that voice inside and giving that license to, to say something and be something. Absolutely. Now, for some of the writers out there listening, I'm sure they're thinking, how did this guy manage to get so many books published so fast? So what is your unique point of difference? How did that happen? I suppose it, it comes down to the books that I do are fairly, I hate to say, they're not easy to do, but they're easy for me to write. You know, it's not like I sit down and and writing a 400-page fiction book or something like that. It is literally me going, what do I want to say? Okay, I want to say this. How can I say it in the most simplest way possible? And so the kids' books I write and illustrate myself. So I don't have to liaise with anybody else to wait for the illustrations to come in. I can just do them myself. And I'm not an illustrator. I mean, I'm not a fancy illustrator. I just do fancy stick figures. So mm. that's relatively easy to do. The non-fiction books that I write, they're all, let's put it this way, because they're about a topic that's completely different from kids' books. Do you want me to tell you what they are? Mm. Ready? They're about the afterlife. <laughs> I know, I know, completely different. It's about my <laughs> personal search to find evidence if there's yes. life after death. It's a, it's a strange sort of two sort of kids' books, one side and those books on that side. But it was my curiosity that drove me to want to write those books and basically get the stories out fast. And I was so lucky that I've got a publisher, the same publisher you've got, Big Sky Publishing, and they love sort of edgy work. They love writing that's bold and that sort of breaks a few barriers and stuff like that. And so I was very lucky that I've got Big Sky Publishing behind me to support me through these different book endeavours and different book projects. And you actually get addicted to writing. I don't know about you, Sonia, but I just can't writing for whatever reason. And if there goes a time like a year where I haven't published a book, I go, what do I do? What's wrong with me? I've got to do something. You know, so it is continually a drive to keep going and keep going and keep going. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you would have been in a rhythm there, like seven books in eight years. You would have been in a rhythm. You would have been always writing. So when it wasn't happening or if there was a pause, it would just feel like you were missing something. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And, and it also we, helps that there's a certain level of got this anxiety about me and that sort of that energy keeps me moving as well, which can be a positive thing. Mm. And writing, like, obviously have a lot of flexibility in what you're able to write, but it's all coming from, I guess, within and what you're going through, what you're curious about. So it becomes fairly, not easy, but it's interesting and it's fun and it engages you. So that gives you the enthusiasm to keep going, right? Exactly right. It's totally relatable to me. If I was writing about, like, say, writing someone else's story or writing something that, you know, you're only half interested in or I was contracted to write, yeah, that's okay. But because it's about me and my story and what I'm curious about, you're more willing to really write that story and sit with it and turn up at the page every day to keep going and keep going. And I think that's what a lot of writers kind of 
they need to remind themselves of, is the story really enjoyable for me? Is it something that I want to say? Then mm. that helps you get that motivation to turn up every day. Yeah, definitely. It makes you commit. That's for sure. That's mm. for sure. So, well, this is a question that maybe you can help me with. As a writer and author, and I imagine you might be in the same kind of field with this one, ideas can come, flood. they just flood. There's an overwhelm. They're constant. So apart from carrying your journal around or whatever it is and writing stuff in your phone and just writing stuff everywhere so you don't forget all your ideas, how do you manage that so that you're not kind of spending time just writing down all your ideas and not getting to just writing and then prioritizing through those ideas? Share, share with me what happens in your world. This could just be me. <laughs> Look, it's pretty similar to you, actually. It's a bit like a dog's breakfast all over the shop. It's, I use my phone to write notes in, and I use it a bit of an old-fashioned way. I'll actually send myself an email from the phone to remind me to do things yep. or to remind me, here's an idea, ah, I'll put this in. Or, yeah, it's, I've got bits of notepads everywhere. I buy the big art books from Officeworks and places like that mm. and just have them scattered around the office and I write notes and draw little illustrations on them, whatever pops to mind. It's actually, and I've got a big whiteboard in the office as well, so I'm putting stuff up on the whiteboard. It is sort of kind of like what it's like in my head, absolutely yes. crazy. So, But it's only once I start to actually, even in a Word document or like a if I've got a new project that I'm starting or think it's got some legs, I'll create a folder, open up a couple of Word documents, put some notes in, put some headings on, and then put it in the folder in the computer. And then, you know, if I still feel motivated by it, I'll then pick it up maybe three or four months later if I've come up with some more ideas for it. But otherwise, if that idea doesn't have legs, I'll just leave it, maybe delete the folder later on or something like that. But there's all this stuff happening and it's uncontrolled chaos, literally. <laughs> I can relate. So yeah. I can't offer you any good advice on how to be organised with that. <laughs> it just made me feel better about myself. Yes. It's okay to be all over the shop. <laughs> well, I guess for you, Josh, and I don't have this compounding thing of being able to draw and I don't even attempt it because for me, it's just really all the words, but you've got writing and illustrating. So have they always coexisted for you or does, do you have a preference for one over the other? Like, how do you go with that? Yes. I used to draw as a kid and like in primary school and I used to be yeah, okay with it. And then I stopped. I didn't draw again for 40 odd or 30 odd years. And for some reason, I just started to draw stick figures on the computer. And I found it easy to draw stick figures because obviously they are easy, but trying to get the emotion within the stick figure, within the face of the stick figure, I found very important. But also putting words to the stick figure, not exactly like what the stick figure was saying, but just like a quote or a statement or something that sort of represented what the what the figure was saying or the emotion trying to get across. And I found that the two, putting the words with the stick figures they just, it created a way for me to tell a story that was so easy to tell, but it distilled complex and big ideas into a simple, easy thing to digest. Because my ter- first two books that I did, Frog in the World, Unconventional Happiness and Follow Your Heart, they were two adult books. I targeted them at adults, but they look like kids' books because I use stick figures and I use quotes and stuff and stuff. And it looked like a kid's book. All these kids were picking it up, but they had adult concepts in them. Mm. And it's from there that, I don't know, I just found it natural to marry the, the words and the illustrations together. And because I wasn't a talented artist or an illustrator, there's so many people out there who were just incredible and mm. I bow down to their skills and abilities. But it, for me, it's getting that 
showing the simplicity of it. And what I found is that the kids, when they see that simplicity, they go, oh, I could do that too. So it's approachable for them. It's relatable. And then they can understand that. And even when the adults see it, it's almost like, oh, there's something that's just simple. I can actually, it's not too heavy. It's not too brain heavy or anything. It's just a stick figure showing an emotion with a simple saying, I can relate to that. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the world just craves simplicity and that's what I try and deliver. Yeah, and you're absolutely right because there's enough distraction and visual overwhelm out there and sometimes it can be quite refreshing just to see something just very simply yet powerfully presented. So I think that's what your books do. So can we talk a little about your first book, Being You Is Enough? I think, you know, the heading kind of or the title really tells us what it's about. But why write it? Being You Is Enough. Why did you have to write that one? That one, again, was is for my eight-year-old self. Mm. It's to let him know that he was fine the way he was. And the thought, okay, well, how do I package this? Because I didn't want to write a, a, a story or a narrative or have a central character go on a journey or anything like that because I didn't know how to do that because I look at other people who write amazing kids' books. So you guys are awesome. I'm not in the same league. I do my own unique style of kids' books. And so this one, I thought, okay, well, I, I do nonfiction. Let's do a nonfiction version. So I thought of the most important 11 and a half things that a kid should know. And 11 and a half, I know, strange, but they're <laughs> things that they should know. And I just started from there and that formed the basis of the book. So it breaks all the conventions. It's about 110 pages. And I know most kids' books are around about 40. Mm-hmm. And there's no storyline or anything in there. And it is the book that I'll give to my eight-year-old self. What I find is that I get emails and messages on Facebook from mums who have sat and read it with their kids. And they get to the last page or near the last page where the the most important thing that a kid should know is that they are loved. Mm. And they get to that page and they start crying themselves because they go, this is what I wanted to hear when I was a kid. Mm. And I'm going, well, my job done. I'll walk away. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I think that's part of why we write children's books. They are for children, but they certainly are for adults and they connect to everyone. They do, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's amazing. And I was one of the things I was going to ask you was, you know, obviously the message is in the title, you know, being you is enough. But what kind of responses have you had? I mean, that's a beautiful one that you've shared. And can you share any other responses or maybe what a child has had to say in response to being you is enough? I get a lot of feedback from both kids and adults Mm. that they find that both the books just so accessible and easy to read and completely and utterly relevant. And you get what I find the sweetest thing is that a lot of kids actually go to sleep holding Mm. the books. Oh. Either holding being it was enough for it's okay to feel the way. They actually, and the grandparents or the parents will sneak in and take a photo and send me a photo <laughs> of the kid with the, oh, you know, if the whole world collapses tomorrow, then my job is done. That's, that's just so good because it's one of the things is, is that if, as long as we let kids know that they're safe, that they're loved and enough the way they are, then we're doing a great job. And that's what these books are trying to get across. And I think the kids really connect with that. You know, I have one mum who said that she was reading It's Okay to Feel the Way to Do to her five-year-old. And he was looking at the page where I talk about anger. And I've got a little illustration of a, of a guy with his head blowing off and steam coming out of his ears. Mm. And the son said to the mum, I don't look like that when I get angry. I look like this. And he grabbed his own paper and pen and he did his own illustration. 
And it started this conversation between the child and the mum that she went, wow, I never thought he felt like this. And it was just amazing they had that discovery. And I get lots of feedback similar to that where the Mm. book has opened up conversation that wouldn't have had otherwise. Yes. And the kids, the strategies, and they can go, because in there to help deal with anger, is, you know, because the kid's got all this energy. What do they do with this energy instead of, you know, beating up their little sister or something? Mm. I get them to run around the backyard like a chicken. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I get parents saying, oh, little Johnny's been out the back like a chicken. He's doing what you tell him to do. <laughs> okay, good, as long as it works. <laughs> get the energy out. Yeah, no, but that, yeah. that's fantastic. And opening that discussion is certainly the first step. And what you mentioned before with a little kid kind of drawing himself that's even more of an important step because it's building that self-awareness and that's really when change can happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And those little discussions, that little side conversation, as you would know, that happens from these books and when you read it to the kids and you ask the, the child the question or a question or something and it gets them thinking as well and then they will bring up something that you as the parent have a thought of and then you go down another side joint. And it all stems from a book and a conversation. And that, to me, I think is incredible because it gets more self-aware, as you said, of what they're thinking, of what they're feeling, and then it allows the parent to know that as well. And the kid is safe to be able to talk openly about that without feeling threatened or without feeling too vulnerable in that regard. Yeah. And can I say that, as I touched on briefly before, it's not all about the children. And I think when I talk to parents, whether it be from an author or a speech pathologist's point of view, part of what I talk about often is building emotional language. And so if you're sharing being you is enough, don't be afraid to talk about yourself as a parent and what you can connect to and how it relates to your world so that the child doesn't just feel connected to what the book's saying, but also feels more connected to the parent or the carer. Do you know where I'm coming from there? Oh, look, I totally agree with you. And I think that parents showing that vulnerability as well by going, you know, I felt angry before or, you know, I felt proud or and tell the child in what context they've done that and what they've done. So it lets the child know, A, they're not alone in that. And mm. B, the parent actually has emotions too mm-hmm. and that we all have them. I think that is brilliant if that can happen. And I know a lot of parents, as you would know, still, we are not taught how to understand our emotions. Our Mm. society does not teach us it, doesn't teach us it in schools. You know, advertising usually just plays on our emotions to to make money for someone else. But we are not equipped to actually go, oh, okay, well, I'm angry. How does that actually feel in my body? What can I now do with that in a constructive way? How do I make friends with this emotion? And I tell the, the kids most of the times that we're, we're all human beings. We all have these emotions preloaded into us. That this one, some of that one, we all have them. And if we all make friends with them, but trying to translate that to the parents, so the parents are in touch with that too, I think that's really, really, really important. I think it's important and I'd touch on almost essential without adding pressure to parents already (laughs) because we've got enough pressures going on as parents, et cetera. But as I said, it's something that I work with quite a bit and that I've talked a lot more about, I guess, since my, you know, Kisses in Your Heart, which is about emotions and, you know, love and fear and worry and that kind of thing and, you know, how to manage that. And so that's kind of driven me to talk more about emotional 
vocabulary and emotional language and to model what's going on in our head too. Like we're not perfect and we need to work as adults too to regulate and manage our emotions. Like it's not just all about kids trying to get it all right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And otherwise, if the kids can see the parents being real, mm. honestly real, as you said, they mirror those actions, behaviours and emotions, and then they've got a good role model. I mean, I grew up with both my parents, you know, in that era, you hid every single emotion until mm. if it was anger, it just came out in an explosion. So you never got to see good role models of how to deal with emotions. So therefore, we all grew up going, I've got no idea either, unless you're trained or something like that in how to deal with that. So it's also important, I think, as you said, to make it easy for parents to be able to do it. You don't want added pressure because, oh, you know, you're doing it wrong or you're doing it right. Because, I mean, I don't have kids, but I know a lot of parents and a lot of families and I know how much pressure there is to be the perfect parent, to make sure you're doing the mothering right, to do all that. Don't make sure you don't get it wrong. And in this day and age, it would just do my head in if I had to do something like that. So hats off to all the parents out there. I think you're all doing a wonderful job with what you've got so far. I think that's amazing. Yeah. But it is trying to just be as real as possible as well for the kids. Like I've felt upset when someone, when I lost a friend or something like that, this is how I've felt. How do you feel? What's it feel like inside? Just having those conversations Mm -hmm. and not needing to fix anything. Yeah. That's another thing because I don't want to fix the problem for the child. But no, sometimes if you just be there and listen, that is enough. Mm, absolutely. Just feel the feelings. And you're right, because it's constantly, I think as parents, and we're constantly thinking about how to make it right, how to fix it, how to help them feel better. But sometimes it is about, let's just feel this, you know, for a bit. And then just from there, how do yeah. we learn how to move on from this feeling? You know, it's kind of like that. This is the first thing. We're feeling it. We're identifying it. This is what's happening. How do we move out into what we need to do next? You know, it takes practice. It takes kind of, as I said, that awareness. But I think the books, like Being You Is Enough and also It's Okay to Feel the Way You Do, and I'll ask you a little more about that, it's such a lovely platform for parents to just, got it, you're reading it, you're sharing that experience with your child. It almost just feels like a release as a parent to just go, oh, you know, we're in a context now where I can actually talk about my feelings. You know, it's easier. You know, it's provided by the book, wouldn't you say? Yeah, exactly. And I've I've found that that to be true in many, many cases. There's a friend of mine who she drives past our place every now and then she'll drop in and she said, my grandson has been, he was enough. He's had it for about three years now. And whenever he has a bad day at school, his mum and him sit on his bed together and they read been, he was enough a couple of times through. And they discuss what may come up as a part of the conversation about what's made him feel so bad that day because one of the pages will trigger something like that. And mm-hmm. that's how they had that conversation. So the mum finds it so much easier instead of going, I mean, because you know what it'd be like, you know, kids sad, what's wrong? No, nothing. You want to yeah. talk about it? No. So you get that sort of, you're up against that resistance until that child is safe. So the book provides that that opportunity to start those conversations and to let the kid know that whatever they're feeling or whatever they're thinking or whatever they're going through is okay, it's normal, but it's not the end of the world, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's why your books, your children's books have had that, I guess, resonance with psychologists out there and you know professionals in the educational field, et cetera. I imagine there'd be a a lot that would refer to 
being you as an R4, it's okay to feel the way you do, almost just as a tool, really, as a practical tool that's easy to access. Yeah, they do, actually. And because they are so different in their presentation, they're just different from every other kids' books that I've seen. And a lot of other people have told me this is a very different book. It's great because it's a nice addition to the rest of their kids' books and stuff like that. And adults can actually read it as an adult as well, mm. you know, because if they're reading a, a storybook about something, they go, uh, yeah, I may have related that when I was 10, but now I don't. But the adults can relate to what the content of these books as well. And the thing is that one of the reasons why I suppose I subconsciously wrote it the way I did or wrote them is because I, I want to make sure that I get the information to the kid or to the child or to whatever as quickly as possible. I didn't want them to have to unpack the story, unpack a moral or anything like that. Here's the information. This is what you need to know. You need to know it now because mm-hmm. you're going to grow up to be an adult and you need to have all the skills to be a well-rounded adult. Let's start learning them now as a child, whether you're four, whether you're 12, just let's get into this now. So that's why I suppose I've written the book in a very direct way. And I've got to say, again, touching on the work that I've done with children over decades, you know, working with a lot of kids who do have difficulty processing language and understanding language that is inferential, you know, kind of getting the inferred meaning. A lot of kids, they need just direct, this is it. Like, this is the message. We don't have to analyze it and extract all the various elements and that kind of thing. So for a lot of kids, they really do benefit from just having something very simple and easy to understand that has the effect or the positive impact that you aimed for with your message anyway. Does that make sense? Oh, you're exactly. And I get a lot of people saying the books especially resonate with kids who may be on the autism spectrum, mm. who maybe have ADHD or other things or learning difficulties mm. because the books are just so easy. They can down into little segments, read one segment and another segment. But as you said, they don't have to unpack it. There's no great comprehension involved. It's like, this is what you need to know. Oh, okay, I get that. I understand that. Let's put that into practice. This is something I need to feel, or this is something I need to take on board. So, And that's why I get asked quite often to go to you know, special needs schools, to go and talk to kids there, or just even be with them while they're working or playing and stuff like that. It's interesting to, to know that the book's because it wasn't my intended purpose to have the book really picked up by a lot of these sort of side things. But now that they have been, and I get a lot of feedback from parents who have kids who they felt out of place, they didn't feel they fit in because they had autism or something like that, they now feel, why? okay, because they've been able to read it and read it quickly and read it well, they now belong, they have a purpose. Mm. And that is something that I didn't, it makes me feel really good about what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, together with that, it's a book or they are books that they're not specific to, you know how you can get books that are specific to kids on the autism spectrum. So it's like, okay, yes. you're on the autism spectrum. Here's a book that's written for ki- for you because you're on the autism spectrum. I think it's quite nice to just have a book that's just relatable to just the diversity of people, you know, of children. That's just the way we are. We're diverse. Yeah. So it's not kind of saying this is for you because you're on the spectrum. You're saying this is for everyone because you're all different mm. and you just happen to have that diagnosis. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's for me, it is like the books resonate with just the core essence of who we all are. Mm. 
And I think that's what really resonates, why they resonate with everyone is because it's we all want to be loved, we all want to be safe, we all want to understand our emotions, we all have sadness, fear, and, and with the new book, it's touching on resilience in a big way. We all have these things inside us, common, we're all human beings, no matter where we are in life. I think that's what touches people. That's why I go, oh, I can see myself in this book, I can see myself in this page here, or see my other page. And that's why they're connecting so well. Mm, mm, Absolutely. So you've got another one coming up next year. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the upcoming children's book? Yes, this one's Magnificent Mistakes and Fantastic Failures, Finding the Good When Things Seem Bad. Nice. So this is a book based on my own personal experience growing up. I I still do make lots of mistakes. I failed at high school. I was a disaster area, Sonia. (laughs) But it's to show that regardless of what happens is that you can still survive and you can still thrive. And your whole being is not reliant on school marks, test scores, comparisons with everyone else. It's not about that. It's about finding, twisting things around, turning problems upside down, seeing the opportunities and failures seeing how mistakes can be opportunities for us to learn new things, for us to grow as people, because we'll keep making mistakes as we get older. And if we learn from them, we become better people. And that's what I want to try and get across. And it's also about bringing together elements. This is the book, again, sometimes I think I've just tried to jam too much in. But when you have all these ideas, you go, okay, I've got my eight-year-old self. How do I, what do I tell him? And I realize I'm now at a hundred and five pages for this book. It's another big one. And I cover a whole lot of things, you know, mistakes, failures. But it's also, I'm finding, because I do a lot of school talks and talk to a lot of school teachers and parents, and you would know this now, kids literally live in their heads and they overthink everything. Mm. And I think that's something that I know I did as a kid, but I don't think it was as prevalent back in the 80s. Mm. And so it's about getting kids to draw themselves back out of their heads where they're worried constantly, everything's going bad, and that's where you get a lot of the anxiety from, and get them to be braver in the world, be braver within themselves, to, to really focus on what they like doing, what they can do, even if it's a little thing like eating spaghetti, something silly like that, and to focus on all the good things. And then once they have the courage to do more of what they enjoy doing, and then they're more likely to go exploring the world a little bit more, try something new, you know, read a new book, go climb trees, do all that sort of stuff, explore the world. So therefore they end up feeling better about themselves and about who they are and their place in the world. Mm. And the, the book I end the book on, you are important to the world. I don't say that you're special. I say you're important because I think it's, everyone needs to know that they have a place within the world and it's important for them to know that so they feel better about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. That's what the book's about. Sounds fantastic. I know it's a long-winded explanation. (laughs) No, no, but it sounds fantastic and it's very much needed, I have to say. It's very much needed in this what I call noisy society. That sounds fantastic. So that's due out in March, is it, next year? Yes, it's we're right at sort of the stages where the graphic designers and all that are finishing, putting the finishing touches on it, getting the manuscript finalised, and then hopefully you go for the printers in the next couple of weeks or so. But I really do hope it, it's, as you said, there is a place in the world for this book and the kids need it more than anything. But it's also for parents to have a read and go, oh, okay, it's okay to let my child go climb a tree. It's okay to do this, to let them 
just to venture out a little bit more to build their confidence and be there and support them yes. as they do it as well. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. And that's the time to do it when a parent can kind of guide but not stop necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Unless their safety is like a huge risk, obviously. But, you know, it's kind <laughs> of about that, that guidance but to be the support. Okay, okay, it happened, you're not in trouble but let's see how we can, you know, kind of work through this. What can we come up with next? And that's the kind of stuff that you want to try and, I guess, train or prep them for when you're looking at the school of life, you know, beyond the school days. What strategies, what tools, what ways of thinking, what mindset can we instill in those younger years? Oh, exactly. Because the world that these kids now who are maybe eight now, the world that they're going to inherit when they're 20, they're 30, they're 40, is going to look completely different to what it is now. And I keep reading that the most important things for kids to learn, resilience, curiosity, creativity and empathy. The most mm. important things that they need to know now because the world's going to change so fast. Yeah, the automation and AI are going to take a lot of the existing jobs. So these kids are going to have to learn to be very, very adaptable and not take it personally. Yes. Yeah. And it's such, and as I said, it's a pretty much a life skill and it's becoming a more important life skill to kind of foster as the years go on and for the children currently in our world. So yeah, there's a lot coming up when you kind of look down the track and you look at What's the vision? You know, because often as parents, you think, what's the vision for the family or what do we want to see for our kids looking ahead? And I think some of these core values or abilities that we've talked about are pretty much the ones that I think the most important. Oh, exactly. And it's about trying to remain, keep them front and centre, though, without being too distracted. Mm. And as you know, with the social media and the pressure and all these different ways of watching TV now and the, just the, the whole world's changing so fast, it's easy to get distracted and forget these core values and these core principles that we all should be living as well as passing on to our kids. Mm. So it's a tough gig out there, actually, just to keep that all that focused, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And if you can kind of try to enjoy things at the same time, it's always helpful. You know, laughter's pretty good too. <laughs> it's fun to have <laughs> oh, a Oh, yeah. You know, look, you can't take any of this seriously. Totally. You can't take it seriously. But it's trying to keep focused but do it with a smile at the same time. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Josh, I've had an amazing time chatting to you today. I'm sure we could keep chatting, but just <laughs> I'm mindful that we've covered some really important aspects today in terms of that you know, area of passion for you, that children's emotional and mental health and well-being. And it's not just an area of passion for yourself, but for so many parents and educators and health professionals out there that you know, we've really touched on some really pertinent areas and I think your books are amazing and will continue to do amazing things for children and for adults. So I'd love to know, just on kind of closing point, would you like to share what your vision might be for yourself as an author illustrator in the years to come and your vision for children in the years to come? Oh, for myself, some strange reason I have inability to see past five years ahead. I wish I could have these. I wish I could have this grand vision for myself. All I can see is I just continually writing these really important kids' books. Mm-hmm. I think they have a place, and as new things come up, because I'm in the middle of writing the fourth kids' book, which is loosely based on being different and how we incorporate that. But apart from writing, illustrating, and doing more talks and talking to kids and getting that message out there. Apart from that, that's what I see myself doing more often. Mm-hmm. I currently run an advertising business as well. So, But hopefully the, the kids' side will take off more mm. 
and I'd love to be doing that as a full-time thing because yeah. I think that kids and parents, we basically need all the help we can get because I think life's, it's the world's going to get much more interesting and I don't know how or what way, but if we're better equipped at facing the challenges and the changes and being light and fostering the curiosity, I think we're all going to be fine. But I'd love to have a play a good part in that with these books and the talks and the messages that I have. Fantastic. Fantastic. That is a wonderful vision, Josh. Wonderful vision. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you. I really appreciate you joining us in the chat. I don't know, will you get a chance to go chat to some flowers now or what's the go? I will go and chat to some flowers. There's some lovely um, daisies that have popped up and they are so great to talk to because they just sit and listen. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have to fix anything. And then once you've got it off your chest, you go, wow, I feel better. Yeah, there you go. There's just another tip for us all. Chat to the flowers more often. I like it. (laughs) And it's easy. It's free as well. Awesome. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Josh. Thank you again. Thank you very much, Sonia. And that was Josh Langley Children's author and illustrator. And he certainly does have a range of books with themes that we can all resonate with and connect with. So I'm so appreciative that Josh was able to join us for the chat today. If you'd like to learn more about Josh and his books and his presentations and workshops and all his other wonderful works, please do visit his website at joshlangley.com.au. Remember to share this episode with family, friends, and with colleagues, and I would love for you to leave a rating and review. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast and feel free to give me feedback on what you'd like to hear more about in episodes coming up. I appreciate you. I celebrate you. Chat soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich, www.chataboutchildren.com.